I gave up on my meatloaf, but it was so good. And they, they just didn't care for it at all. And I think it's, it's always just familiarity. They're not out to a restaurant. They're just in the middle of their school day. They just wanted to get some food in their belly. They're not looking to have some life-changing experience at the lunch table. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. You guys, over the many years we've been doing Didn't I Just Feed You, <laughs> we have talked a lot about packing school lunches. And that doesn't even count the many, 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 many years that Megan and I have talked about it in articles to parents over the course of our career. And we recently shared our best tips from all of that experience with our bonus episode subscribers. But we've also had experts like Catherine McCord of Weelicious, a school teacher, and so many more on the show. So you want to go back in the archive, number one, and listen to them all. Also, if you have Spotify, you can search for Didn't I Just Feed You? And our user profile also has favorites lists, and we have a back-to-school list there. But the one thing we've never done in all of this is just really like dig into cafeteria school lunches, like not packing, just cafeteria school lunches. What go into it? Do your kids do that? Do they eat the cafeteria school lunch? What was your experience? Yes. And the thing that I find the most strange about us having never really done a deep dive into hot lunch or cafeteria lunch, however you like to call it, is that we actually define the first step of school lunch decision making as deciding whether you need to pack lunch or not and whether you can just do school lunch. And I actually grew up doing school lunch program for like a lot of elementary school and actually during some years of my mom like putting herself through graduate school we did school breakfast too um so it's really interesting that my lens still is a little bit like oh packed lunch and I was really excited to start packing lunches for my kids when they were little and then we've also I've taught I've shared that like the school culture makes a difference because We lived in places where everybody brought a packed lunch and then we lived somewhere where everybody did school lunch. And so my kids kind of like fell into that culture of doing the cafeteria lunch. And now we're back in a place where it's a lot of packed lunch. And even though I think the menus are a lot the same, it's just like what the other kids are doing that influences our kids desire to have packed lunch. Um, But for anyone who who hasn't caught up, what is your relationship to cafeteria lunches? I know that like for a while, that's not an option for your boys at the school that they're at. It wasn't in elementary school because our school doesn't, our elementary school building doesn't have, didn't have a kitchen or a cafeteria space. We just recently installed a cold kitchen. So now elementary school kids do have the option to get school lunch. But once fifth grade comes around and they move to the middle school, upper school building, school lunch is an option and they've been doing it since fifth grade. I haven't packed a single lunch since Oliver has gone into fifth I'm grade. I'm doing jazz hands behind the scenes. Wait, so cold lunch, not hot lunch, which is really interesting because my mom always used to call it hot lunch when we were growing Like, oh, are you going to do hot lunch or do you want a bagged lunch? Did you do hot lunch at all growing up? Oh, that's all I did. I actually don't even recall ever having. I know that I had lunch boxes. Like I've seen photos of myself going into school with a lunch box. 
So I know that at some point my mother must have packed lunch, but I went to two schools pretty much. And I switched, hmm, I think I switched in fifth grade. I started my new school. And that's where I went to school, that town. I only went to public schools. I went to school in that town all the way through high school. So all the photos of me in my lunchbox were at the school I went to before that. So I was really little and I don't know. We had pierogi day. I have memories of that. Oh my goodness. Was that like a good, is that like a good it memory? It was delicious. Like, I remember yes. it being amazing. I don't know if that's because my mom's packed lunch sucked or because <laughs> I just <laughs> love pierogies because they still do. But I mean, from fifth grade on, my mother never packed a single school lunch. Yeah. I only had cafeteria lunch. Okay. That's so interesting because one of my favorite like taste memories is during elementary school, we were doing hot breakfast at the school, which was like free or subsidized. I can't remember which. And they had this like stuffed hash brown breakfast. And it wasn't all the time, but it was like those Trader, you know, the like McDonald's or Trader Joe's, the like thin patties, but it was stuffed with scrambled egg and cheese and little bits of ham. And it was so good. Like when it was breakfast hash browns day, that was it for me. And then we, so we did like through a lot of elementary school, we did the free school lunch. And then I think in middle school and high school is when my mom started packing us with the very standard, like brown sack lunch of like an apple, a Capri Sun, a little Debbie snack and like a peanut butter and jelly or a ham and cheese. Is it because your school didn't offer? I think it was maybe not free or maybe not subsidized anymore. And so it was less expensive for her or maybe we asked for it. I do remember that, like, especially in high school, it was more the culture that you had a packed lunch from home. And then also in high school, it was like when we could go out for lunch. Yeah, I did go out for lunch. I ate so much Taco Bell in high school. Like (laughs) so, 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 so much Taco Bell. time and Jack in the Box. Oh, I was a vegetarian in high school. So Taco Bell was like my only option. Yeah. So do you feel like, you grew up with the lens of like school lunches, good or bad? No, I was very, I feel very neutral about it. Okay. I think that school lunch being quote unquote bad was something that I adopted during a phase of my parenting that I'm a little bit embarrassed about, but I'm just going to be vulnerable and real. I love it. When I first had Isaac. Yeah. Right. So it was Isaac is going to be. <laughs> it's hard to say the words in January. Isaac's going to be 17 years old. That's it's bananas. Anyway, um, when he was first born was when it was the BPA scare. OK, it was the height of breast is best. There was really no conversation around <laughs> equity, inclusion, no. like fed is best. Like this was not happening. It was like uh, your kids shouldn't have any plastic toys, at least in my circles. Let's be right. honest. This is like, you know, white privilege, like Brooklyn bubble. I realized that there is a whole population of people who were not reading the same things as me and like not tapped in. I had been working full-time. I thought I was going to continue working full-time into being a mom and ended up not. 
for the first like six months of his life. And then I was like, wait, psych, I need to work. This is too much. I don't like it. So that first six months was super, super intense. I was having major, major, major breastfeeding problems. Which we talk about. We have a whole episode about breastfeeding and starting solids and all that. So I was having a lot of issues and like, I don't know, issues is not, that was a weird word to choose, but I was like, there was a lot of inner turmoil around feeding him, reflecting on what it means to be a food person, to feed your kids, sustenance, like all that stuff was very, very heavy duty for me. And so I just got sucked in. Like I was like, yes, breast is best. That's what I have to do. And it was around then that I started my, my now defunct blog, One Hungry Mama. And I was like, everything should be organic like everything, like BPA free, like I drank the Kool-Aid. I went deep, deep, deep in that direction. And I didn't even have a kid that was school-aged. But just being in that world and drinking the Kool-Aid, I was like, yeah, like we have to do better for school lunch for our kids. And I really didn't, like I just wasn't aware of all of like the privilege and the circumstance that surrounded me even being able to indulge this conversation publicly and with myself. I've obviously turned the corner on it. As we know from our several conversations about junk food and yeah, just how much, not like it's in a bad a way. I'm not judging you, but I lo- like, I know how far the journey has been when I see you like have McDonald's on your Instagram stories with the boys that you're like, yes, we just eat all, all things are included. Yeah, it's been a journey and a lot of it has to do with them too. Yeah. You know, them getting older, me letting go of control. Like it's just been part of the parenting journey for me. Yes. But I grew up eating school lunch and thinking it was totally normal and totally fine. Like my mother didn't judge it. There was no conversation about it being about money. And I didn't grow up with a lot of money, but like it just wasn't tied to that. I don't know. It just was like, that's how you ate lunch. Yeah. School serves lunch. You eat lunch at school. It's really interesting to hear you talk about like this sort of like circle of influence that you were under when you started your parenting and how that relates to how you like how you viewed school lunch for your own kids versus like how you grew up. Because I feel like in some ways I'm like, oh, is this like a weird like trickle down parenting thing? Because you would have been like a mommy blogger that I was looking to for inspiration. And I started my like packing school lunch journey at the height of Pinterest and like the beginning of like Instagram influencers. Really, I mean, they've all like there's always been influencers of some sort. And so my drive to pack lunches was purely for their cuteness. (laughs) Like that's hilarious. I wanted to have the bento boxes and I wanted to be like sending them with air quotes, wholesome food and like giving them comfort in the middle of their comfort and love in the middle of their day. And I didn't really like step back and think like, oh, do I actually I was working full time. Like, do I actually have the bandwidth to pack lunches? And I used to do this thing of packing all of Ella's preschool lunches on Sunday and then like filling in like with sliced fruit and stuff because I didn't I genuinely didn't have the bandwidth. I was trying to like make room in our schedule. And so it was then such a reprieve later when she was in elementary school and she was like, no, I want to do school lunch. And I was like, oh, okay, great. And I think we have to talk about like the larger influence of 
media too, because I think we our our generation of parenting was also influenced by the whole like Jamie Oliver coming in and being yes, like school lunch 100%. is terrible and they're counting ketchup as a vegetable and totally. all this media influence telling us how bad school lunch absolutely and i do think it's really interesting like i haven't done a huge deep dive into the history of school lunch but you know it really started as a program to help our ag system during the great depression it was like to use up surplus crops and so schools like the food was donated to schools via the wpa that's so cool and interesting. Isn't it kind of interesting? But then it's it, like it's wild to me that it's run by like the USDA and the FDA and yes. like they set the standards for yep. it. And now the National School Lunch Program feeds 30 million students. And that sometimes includes subsidized breakfasts and dinners as well, which is like a huge number of students that's being fed. And the budgets are small, like a number I pulled from... 2019 is that each meal needs to cost less than $3.41, including ingredients and accounting for labor. That's crazy. You know what this reminds me of a little bit and why I think school lunch is complicated to talk about? It reminds me a little bit of the packaged food yes. scenario, right? Where packaged food really gained popularity in the 50s, including packaged baby food, as a convenience because moms needed to start working right. to like help the effort. And so it was a lot to then cook the way women were expected to cook and to also work. And so these convenience foods were helpful. And it really did answer a problem in society and was created to kind of serve people. But then, you know, capitalism doing its thing expanded it so big and so beyond what are the needs of society, of farmers, of people, of the public, that it just becomes a money-making thing, at least in the packaged food, not the school lunch thing. Although I would say there's probably, like, if you trace the dollars and why some of the things are still included in school lunches, it is probably has to do with lobbying and money and subsidies that come to those farmers and manufacturers who are subsidizing the sale of things to the school lunch program. So there's a lot more going into it than yeah. any of us could have imagined from like at a national level. And it's just hard because those original problems that these things were solving, convenience foods, school lunch, are still problems for a huge number of people who still need solutions. And these are the solutions that are available. So we can't just demonize them. At the same time, it's complicated because of all these other things that we've been talking about, like money and capitalism and profit over people and all of that. So there's this like push and pull happening. And I think that when you and I started parenting was also the very beginner of, like you said, influencer culture, what ended up being a distrust of the government, a distrust of media, a like it was the very beginnings. So it was like, yeah, like this is bad. We're trying to, they're duping us. Don't give that to your kids. It's going to poison them. Yes. I feel like we've both had a full circle moment where we're like, actually, school lunch is a really great tool and it would be better for the 
community at large, the school lunch community, the people who who genuinely need the support of school lunch programs if everybody opted in in some ways. And so I think all of that to say there's all this like national stuff that we can talk about. And I think we're going to end up having to do multiple episodes to really dissect all that is school lunch. But today we get to talk with Kara Wade of Butterface Lunch Lady and talk about just like what from a lunch director, a kitchen director standpoint, what goes into her decisions around what her the kids in her school community eat. And it's like a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Her job is really, really hard. And I think that the the thing that we have to parse out here is the systematic problems, right? Like, could school lunches be more nutritious? Sure. Right. But that's like a systematic problem. That's not because your lunch personnel at your school don't give a beep about your kids. Like, right. Not at all. So, you know, we have to kind of parse these things out and remember that school lunch, like you said, is very, very critical for a lot of families. And it's a program that, yes, of course it could use improvement, but let's think about like who we're asking to improve and like where we need to throw our support because they're kind of separate things. Yes. Okay. So we spent way longer than I thought we would talking about our own uh, hot lunch, school lunch experience. And I think we should get into our conversation with Kara. You might know Kara Wade from Instagram or TikTok as Butterface Lunch Lady, where she shares the large scale recipes she makes as a kitchen director at a K through 12 facility near Portland, Oregon. Kara has been working in the culinary industry for over 14 years before becoming a lunch lady, including work as a caterer, a chef, a barista, a pastry chef, and so much more. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, Kara. Kara, one of the threads that we like to incorporate in every interview is talking a little bit about how you grew up and how that frames that the way that you look at food. And as we're talking about school lunch, we're just super curious. Did you take packed lunch or did you get school lunch as a kid or something totally different that I'm not thinking of? I mostly got school lunch as a kid. My mom insists that there was like a period of time where she was packing lunches and I said I didn't want it. But I remember it totally differently. <laughs> as, as it goes. As it goes. As, yes. it goes. as we do. Uh, I remember being really jealous of the kids that would come to school with their packed lunch with like their cute little notes from their mom and things. <laughs> but yeah, I mostly ate school lunch as a kid. And did you have a positive view of school lunch growing up or a negative view or like neutral besides being jealous of the fancy packed lunches? It was definitely something we made fun of as kids. Like we would make fun of the quality of the meat and like, oh, can you see how these chicken nuggets bounce off the ground and <laughs> stuff like that. I had the experience of there was always like one lunch day that was like pizza lunch. Uh -huh. And I feel like this is very like late 90s that it would come from like the we thought it came from the local Domino's. And so everyone would like get in the queue for lunch on that day, but the rest of the week, it could really be hit or miss. Yeah, that's the thing. A lot of the big chains do where they'll provide the schools like that. Yeah. I feel like it's funny. I feel like kids will make fun of anything. Like you were making fun of the school lunch. I had packed lunches and sometimes there'd be Greek foods that actually aren't very crazy foreign, but I'm, I'm old, you guys. <laughs> 
really long time ago, like before people ate even Greek food very frequently. So I would have these dishes that I was sort of embarrassed of and kids would make fun of the pack lunch. Kids would make fun of the school lunch. Kids are just, they're a little brutal sometimes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I would say, I would normally ask, does your kid have school lunch or get a packed lunch? But your kid is in the daycare where you work, so... You get it all in one. He <laughs> is. You know, last year, as the school kitchen, we weren't set up to provide for allergies or like intolerances yet. Oh, so yeah. I actually did pack his lunch from home a lot of times because he doesn't eat wheat. And that was a big part of my incentive to start providing those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as the chef is like, I was cooking the lunch and then I was providing a whole second lunch. So yeah, I thought that's what you got to circumvent. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I'm so relieved for you. That's like us when we do recipe development and like we would, you know, during the day, I'm like cooking five or six different recipes. And then at dinner time, my family will have the expectation of like, oh, this is dinner (laughs) or like I will actually cook something else. So that is kind of wild that for a whole year you packed lunches for your kid. Yeah, and I would try to just like pack you know, whatever thing, like if it was cheeseburger day, I'd try to just pack him a gluten-free bun or something. Yeah. Like a whole lunch. But yeah, it was, it was a whole lot. That's very smart. So can you take a step back and just let us know how you became a lunch lady? Sure. Um, I've been in the like wider food industry for 14-ish years. And I've worked for a couple different nonprofits. And through all of that, I've ended up cooking in like large quantity situation. Yeah. I also worked for a catering business in college that does like in-house catering. And so we would do big like banquets and that kind of thing. And then I had a baby in COVID all at once. And I was staying home, I thought, for good. And somebody that knew the job needed to be filled here that knew my situation reached out and was like, I think this is a good fit. I Really didn't want to at first. <laughs> I was, was going to ask, little, what was your reaction? I was in my little COVID, you know, loneliness bubble. And honestly, I I had low-key just dreamed of doing this kind of work for so long that I couldn't ignore mm-hmm. it. I used to talk a lot about, you know, when uh, Jamie Oliver first started doing all his yes. cool life stuff. I was like 17, 18 at the time. And I got really invested in that, really interested in what he was doing. So yeah, I couldn't really deny that it was a really good fit for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's like calling. Once I got yeah. back to work, I was like, oh yeah, I love working. I had a little bit of a moment where I wondered when Stacy asked you about being a lunch lady. I know you use that as part of your like Instagram and TikTok handle. But is that like a low-key derogatory term because it was made fun of for so long in pop culture? Like I think of like the Adam Sandler song about the lunch lady and all that. I mean, it probably is. I don't know that it's more derogatory than Butterface. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, my whole philosophy with food is I have had this opportunity to work in like higher end kitchen environments and learn a lot of the techniques and receive that kind of culinary training. And I want to like bring that to the people because I feel like these certain group of people have like taken food and said, this is ours and we're going to hold it up here and you guys can't really have it. 
And I feel like it's made a lot of people believe that, but like, I can't cook and I can't have access to these things. And so my whole philosophy is about like deflating the ego. Yeah. And I definitely have to do that for myself often <laughs> because there is a, a desire to defend myself. I'm like, no, I'm a, I'm a real chef. Right. We, we struggle with that yes. it, yeah, be in the place of like being moms in food media and talking to parents about like not only high level cooking and like good food in that way, but also things that are easy, how to use, utilize shortcuts, how to cook in a volume, because it is like a ton, a ton of work to feed a family and also to feed the volume of people that you're feeding. Yeah. And it's something about you know, these things like wine, you know, high cuisine, when they've been elevated, the idea of meeting people where they are is kind of looked down on. I mean, Megan and I have this experience very frequently where because we have dedicated our careers to talking to families and not just to say like, here, like we want to bring this to you. We promise we're going to help make it easy. And actually to do that sometimes. And then to also say, you know, that technique or that thing, maybe that's for the restaurant. Like your kid wants mac and cheese. Let's talk about that. Like, how are we going to meet you where you are? And then as professionals, because that's our approach, we're not sometimes or haven't been taken as seriously. And people assume that we don't know what we're doing because we're talking about mac and cheese. And it's like, no, we, we could, we can rock it out. We promise. Like, we know how to do that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But like, that's not what our passion is. Our passion is talking to parents and like helping them just get food on the table every night. And it sounds like that's how you feel about school lunches too. Absolutely. You know, there's this, it's a, such a small portion of the food that is made and consumed that lives at that high tier level. And like, the majority of cooking that ever happens in the world happens in the home and it happens in really down to earth ways. Yeah. Yeah. What was the status of the school and the school lunch program at the school where you're working now before you came on? Were you just replacing a role or were you starting a whole new program? So there had been a chef in the role that from everything I can tell was doing a really wonderful job. Um, And I think things were a little bit dancier at that time. I think there was less uh, mm-hmm. pressure to actually fall within the budget. And there was a lot of grace, I think, at that time for mm-hmm. being over budget. But then the, the lunch program had completely shut down for COVID. The school stayed open, but there was no lunch for that whole year plus. So there wasn't any, there was somebody making lunch for the child care center but there was no lunch for the case while happening. So there had been what sounds like a functioning program, but it had kind of just disappeared. So then I had to kind of start from scratch at that point. Yeah. So within starting from scratch, was there a budget? And does that budget, because you're at a, a smaller private school, K through 12. And I think I read like about 500 students. About 500 to eat, yeah. And then you're also sometimes feeding staff. Like, what does the meal budget look like for you? And does it align with the USDA guidelines? Does it have to align with the USDA guidelines? Uh, Budget-wise, the lunch program feeds itself. So the money that kids pay for lunch is the money that we have. Versus I think a public school would have, I'm not an expert at all on how public schools 
lunch work. Um, but they, they get some funding from the government that fills out their budget. Um, but if, if the kids paying $5 for lunch, then I have $5 for labor and supplies and food. And who comes up with that pricing? Um, myself, along with the, uh, administrative team. So the, the person above me and, everybody at that level. I like I propose what I want the price to be for the next year and then people come back and say yeah or nay. Is there some consideration in that towards the like income level of the parents, the families that are at your school to like what they can afford so it makes it accessible for everyone? Yeah, you know, I think there could be a lot of assumptions even internally that as a private school everybody has a ton of money. Um and I I truly don't know every person's situation. But when I brought the price of elementary school lunch up to $5 last year, I think the price hadn't been raised in years because they were kind of accepting being over budget. There, there was quite a lot of feelings from parents about that. Um, and I suspect there will be some more feelings when the price goes up again next year. But the price of food is, it, it can't be avoided that Food is 10% more than it was a year ago at this time. It was 10% than the year before that. It's expected to be another 8 or 9% in the coming 12 months. So, um, yes, we're taking that into account. And, you know, we have dialed back sort of the complexity of a lot of our menus to try to keep it at that. It's going to be going up to 550 um, to keep it at 550, where the the level of food that was being prepared pre-COVID, I, I think to break even, we'd be having to charge eight nine dollars for lunch. Which, if you think about even going out to McDonald's, you're gonna end up seven eight bucks. Absolutely. Could you give us just like an example when you mean the school program was above but like out out of budget before you took over? Like what kind of food was being cooked as compared to like what you cook and share on TikTok and Instagram? I know on the middle and high school side, they had like a full like you would have it like a brunch buffet, like a pasta station. So you would come up and like pick all the stuff you wanted to get and they would be like sauteing it to order. Um, and lots of like build your own bars. Um, I think they would do like a baked potato bar with, you know, the, the, the good bacon and the good cheese and that kind of stuff that just adds up when you're putting, cause everything you put out on the yeah. buffet has to go. It can't roll over to the next day. And so we've just had to dial back to where if we're doing loaded baked potatoes, we're going to have three, maybe four toppings instead of. 12 toppings to choose from or that kind of thing. And made to order or no? Like, are you guys like, here it is. You get a baked potato and what do you want? Sour cream, bacon, cheese, broccoli. It gets complicated to answer what sounds like a very simple question because we have technically four separate schools. So Mm -hmm. for the toddlers, we send everything in metal pans and then the teachers will plate it up for each kid. For the elementary school, I think we really try to avoid a lot of conversation and questions at the window. Yes. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> and so it's very much like if it's optional, then it's it's out on the salad bar for them to grab. If it's coming out of the window, it's just you're going to get what you get. Um, and then we have a lot more wiggle room with our older kids in middle and high school. And we'll give them a lot more freedom. And I like being able to give them a more grown up thing and stuff they can look forward to as they age up. 
So we'll give them a lot more options and a lot more freedom where we might just say, here's your baked potato, and then they can just scoop all their own toppings. Okay, so there's so many variables here that you're juggling. So you're talking about four different schools and four different approaches to the same kind of meal. So you're deconstructing your right. You have to come up with lunch ideas that can be deconstructed in ways that fit this huge mm-hmm. age span. You're talking about budget, rising food costs. Are there any nutritional guidelines that you are obligated to adhere to? Or is that just you trying to be mindful? So as far as I understand, legally, we would have no obligation to the exact USDA yeah. guidelines. And that even a public school isn't legally obligated to them, but they are the requirements to receive funding. We have expressed a commitment to our parents that we are going to be adhering to the USDA guidelines, to either to the best of our ability or in certain areas where we have made a conscious decision that this is a better fit for this group of kids that we're serving. So I would think 95% we adhere to USDA guidelines, but there isn't anybody like barking at my door to make sure that I'm, it's internal accountability. And how, what are those guidelines? Can you talk to us about like when you're constructing a menu, you know, I've already listed a whole bunch of things you're keeping in mind. Now you have these nutritional guidelines. Like what are you thinking about when you sit down, like Megan and I get asked this all the time, when you meal plan, like, what do you sit down and think about? And, you know, trying to break it down is a little hard, but I think it's really helpful for people to understand how complicated your job is and how much thought goes into it. Yes. I'm feeling very seen with all of your questions and understanding. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I love that. I always, I always say people on you know, TikTok comments and things will be like, well, why don't you just do yeah. X? And I'm like, you don't just do anything. Yeah, totally. And there's no just. So they, they vary by age, but it's, it's going to be mm. the amount of protein, vegetable, grain, fruit, milk that is required. So I have, I have a big chart up in the, the elementary kitchen with, if we're serving this, it needs to be this scoop of rice, this scoop of potatoes, that kind of thing, this much meat. Um, and so fruit and milk, we just operate separate from the lunch menu because they just have, they just have to happen every day. Yes. And so totally. that's just like okay. constantly moving thing that I don't, I don't menu plan it. We just buy fruit for the week and we do fruit. Right. I'm so relieved to hear you say it. I'm a little stressed out as someone who like really enjoys menu planning. I'm like, wait, we have to like isolate some of these variables. <laughs> but you do this too. You just buy, when you were packing lunch for your kids, Stacey, you would do lunchbox veggies and you yes. just buy like these five yeah. veggies every yeah. week that you know your kids will eat. Totally. And whatever day you're pulling out the cucumbers or you're yeah. pulling out the peppers. So you it must is- isolate some of the variables. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise it gets bananas. Absolutely. And if you look at my menu, it'll say usually the... Protein and the grain will be explicit, and then it'll say mm. veggies. Mm. So if my supplier ends up being out of broccoli that week, I'm not committed to broccoli. Um, for instance, today we have normally when I do teriyaki chicken, I'll do broccoli, but they were out, uh, so we did zucchini. I really will go through, and I'm looking for that protein and the grain, and I wait for the Kara that will be making the produce order to decide on the veggie for the week. 
Kira, is there a calorie bullseye for these lunches for the different age groups? Or is that not a consideration for the guidelines? If there is one for public schools, I'm not familiar with it. It is not something that factors into my decisions, though I will once in a while sit down and map out a couple of meals and like, are we on target? Mm -hmm. And for that, I'm just looking up studies on how much kids should eat. But it's going to vary so much because some of our kids are, you know, teenage boys that are athletes. And like Stacy's sons. Yes. Yeah, yes. totally. And then you've got the toddlers who it feels like they are eating like a handful of things at every Well, meal. yeah. And, you know, they'll either eat nothing or they'll eat their weight. And yes. totally. <laughs> yes. Listen, we over ordered lunch and my son ate double portions. And he, it's just because he was hungry today. Stacy, I don't know about you, but I've been in a major spring cleaning mode, including purging and organizing my closet. I'm putting away winter sweaters and donating things that don't work for me anymore. But I'm so excited to be pulling out some of my favorite items from Quince to put back into rotation. Totally. I love the pieces that I bought from Quince last year, too. And neither of us should really be surprised. We love Quince for their quality. And by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Which means I can actually add some pieces back to my closet after my spring clear out. I love the linen pants and top I got last season so much, but my next purchase is one of Quince's gorgeous 100% washable silk skirts. Oh, that's so pretty. And the best part, all Quince items from silk to 14 karat gold are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. That's why I snagged my favorite oversized cashmere boyfriend cardigan from Quince instead of any other brand. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash D-I-J-F-Y for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for didn't I just feed you, to get free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with ByHeart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is ByHeart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for didn't I just feed you. Additional terms and conditions apply. We know you're seeing all the Mother's Day gift guides everywhere. And while we usually do some Didn't I Just Feed You version, this year we have the one perfect Mother's Day gift that works for everyone, even our last minute shoppers, mylifeinabook.com. Mylifeinabook.com is a unique service that turns the life stories of people you love into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. 
Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your gift recipient a question via email. These can be pre-written questions that they provide, or you can customize the questions the way that I did for my mom. Your recipient can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. I'm really excited to be creating a book with my own mom this year, and I can't wait to hear some of her childhood memories, what it was really like raising three kids as a single mother, and how she's enjoyed becoming a grandmother, too. And when the book is done, you'll have a beautiful keepsake for her and for you, too. You can even choose to have an audiobook created from the recordings. It's easy to sign up, and the process is automated so you don't have to worry about missing a week. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code D-I-J-F-Y at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code D-I-J-F-Y for 10% off today. Being someone who's worked professionally in food at all these different levels, you know, you're talking about $5 per kid minus labor, minus, you know, all these other things overhead. So how do you feel personally about the quality of the ingredients? Because one criticism that you hear a lot about school lunch programs is that people think it's not good quality. Yeah, I I think what I'm finding from being online and people engaging with me on the topic of school lunch is that it varies hugely that there are some schools where it is hot pocket equivalent and they even had a sample of some of them they come in a like plastic wrapper and then you just put that with the wrapper in the oven or in the Mm -hmm. steamer um but then i think there are also public schools that are cooking good food in certain areas. I think it really, really varies. So I feel really good about what I do here. And I think that I have to make decisions about what works for me. And I tend to put that quality ahead of maybe diversity or like excitement Mm -hmm. of the menu. I found this one diced chicken product that really works for me. That it's, it's, raw chicken that's already diced up and I use that for like everything or I use the one kind of ground beef and I use that for everything because I know that I like this one that it doesn't it's not bristly and it's not yeah smelly <laughs> but you know I our um what do you call it health department inspector is just kind of overwhelmed when she comes here because there aren't any other schools in our area that use raw products at all Mm, interesting. So I feel really good about what we get to use here, but I do think there is a, a wide range of what quality is like in schools in America, for sure. Yeah. My understanding of that is that the amount of money that each student is allocated is based on like their economic demographic of their family. So you really have to think about like location is going to impact the quality of ingredients as far as like population density, how many students are low income or not. And also like the culture of the school, like are a lot of kids at public school at that public school getting school lunch or are they bringing school lunch? Like 
we lived in Boise, Idaho for a little bit of time. And my kids were at a Title I school and it was incredibly diverse. And most of the families were lower income and everyone ate lunch. And my kids ate lunch and they never complained about it. And we moved to Tennessee and we are in a less diverse school district. And the culture is that nobody eats the school lunch and they complain. My kids are like, it's not as good as it was in Boise. And I think that that's like real life example of what the the school how the school culture just like impacts what Mm -hmm. funds are available to those school districts and i think i read this is not an updated statistic but like the average is that each meal is allocated three dollars and 41 cents and that also has to include the labor costs so how many people they're able to staff and i think that's why you see so many shortcut things is like that really cuts your labor costs down and so you're able to provide a higher volume of food to probably low income students who that might be one of their only meals or maybe they're doing breakfast and lunch as part of their school lunch. And so it's really important that they just get volume into those kids. So it's very just like there's a lot like you keep saying there's a lot of considerations that go into what is school lunch. And I do also want to point out that I think there is a little bit of a misconception. $3.47 versus $5 is a significant difference, actually, when you're talking about. But I do think that parents can lose track of the fact that even with fewer than $5, because Kara's minusing, you know, labor and everything else, you can, like, it is possible. Like, it's not like going to the supermarket. It is possible with some strategic thinking, some thinking critically about the choices you make, Um, maybe sacrificing certain things, like Carrie, you were saying about sacrificing diversity, you can put together a nutritious lunch made with definitely good enough, if not quality ingredients. Yeah. And I I know that a lot of public schools will hire out to these companies that run their lunch program for them. And I think that determines a lot too, whether the school is hiring people in to do that work internally. Versus if you hire Sodexo, you're doing Sodexo. You're doing their program and their food. I'm curious, like the planning, does it happen in a bubble? Do the kids or parents influence what kind of meals are repeated on your menus? Definitely the kids. I do not get a lot of feedback from parents. I don't know whether that is because parents don't have feedback or if somebody else is intercepting that feedback. (laughs) but i i really rarely hear from parents but we're definitely keeping an eye on um what what sells and what the kids are interested in and there's some things that i will kind of dig my heels in on because i'm like really it's really good food i really want it to work like what tell us one of the things i I finally gave up on my meatloaf but it was so good I'm and sad for you. I love meatloaf. Didn't care for it at all, and I think it's it's always just familiarity. They really want yeah, what feels totally. Like, they're not out to a restaurant. They're just in the middle of their school day. They just want to get some food in their belly. They're not looking to have some life changing experience at the lunch table. It's funny. So I am involved with my kids' school, and I live in New York City, so space is hard. And we have a lower school in one building and then several blocks away, a middle school and an upper school. So the middle school and upper school have a cafeteria with a full kitchen. We just recently added a cold kitchen 
to the lower school. It used to be that you had to pack lunches and everybody was so excited, but like the hilarity of the family's feedbacks. <laughs> and I know this is also like, if you're in a main city, like, first of all, like, why isn't there hot lunch? And it's like, I, guys, what don't you understand? It's a cold kitchen, <laughs> cold, cold foods. And then also like some parents are like, oh, like they could have sushi. What? Like, we're not making sushi here for school lunch for <laughs> elementary school. And then like we dug into some of it and it really turns out that parents are often giving feedback, at least in private schools where, you know, there's a different dynamic between parents and administration. Parents are giving feedback without even asking the kids. And mm -hmm. a couple of us, just like anecdotally, like as a parent to parent, because people will talk to me about food because they know what I do for a living. And it's like, you know, actually they don't need sushi. They need the opposite. Like we just want kids to eat lunch. Like to your point, it needs to be familiar. We want them to like it. Even in the middle school post COVID, there were a lot of changes to the school lunch program. And, you know, middle schoolers weren't like complaining a little bit about the post COVID lunch and it turned out parents were trying to like tweak it, but they were trying to tweak it in ways that made it more familiar to them. Actually, the main tweak, and I told the school, I was like, here is my humble professional opinion. You just need some plain pasta out there. That's what they want, please. And as soon as we just made plain pasta a thing that you can always get, the complaints went way down because they just want, and I know like, I'm not in charge of the program. I don't have all the considerations that you have to always make plain pasta an option on top of other foods and to be thinking about the nutritional value. But I do think it's really important for us to remember as grownups looking at school lunch programs, whether you're in public school or private school, it's very, very easy to criticize, to have opinions that actually don't reflect not just the reality of your job, Kara, but the reality of what kids just want to eat. And remembering that, like, let's make sure they eat food. Like, it doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to be. They like cheeseburgers. Give them cheeseburgers. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, like, I want good nutrition for kids. I could write the most perfect, ideal version of a menu. And if it doesn't get in their bellies, it just simply doesn't matter what's on the plate. Absolutely. Like, say it again louder for the people in the back. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. For real. If they're not going to eat it, it doesn't matter how perfect it is. Yeah. So and with all the things that you're already consider as far as considering as far as like budget and feedback and what the kids want to eat, there's also like the food waste component too. You can't afford to throw away the lunch money that your students are paying into because you want to have them try out butter chicken or something and no one wants to eat it. Is that the thing you wish people understood the most about your job is like just how much thought goes into what you're doing every single day but at the end of the day I, I'm a person and the people I work with are people and I, I could also come up with an ideal version of how things should go but my kid's gonna get sick or my staff is gonna need to call out or I'm just not gonna get good sleep and I'm not gonna make exactly the right decisions about everything and we have to accept our humanity a little bit yes. and doing well you know my husband's a therapist and he talks a lot about this idea of the good enough parent 
Mm-hmm. And that like that's what the research shows is that what kids need is a good enough parent. And I think that applies here as well. Like kids need good enough food. They need food to be there. They need it to be nutritious. My my first goal is that it be food that will be in their bellies. Amen. Kara, you're doing such important work. Oh, thank you. Like truly, thank you for doing it. Thank you. Megan, we led into the conversation with Kara being like, whoa, her job is so hard. It is. And on top of it, she's at a private school. Yes. Right. So she has fewer constraints than the people running and working at public school cafeterias. And I think this is a really, really important point. I don't know that there's much conversation to be had about it as much as like highlighting that. Like as hard as her job is, other people are trying to do the same thing as her with less money and with more oversight from the government. Right. And bigger school communities. Yes. Right. Sometimes middle school, high school mashed up together. Sometimes it's a hub for multiple schools within a school district. So I really want to kind of leave this episode and our conversation with Kara with the invitation to our listeners to reach out to us. Like, what is the next lens or viewpoint of school lunch that we should talk about? Is it finding someone who runs a district and learning what their constraints are? Is it a school nutrition expert? Is it a lobbyist of some kind who is working to change what our national school lunch program looks like? As much as my kids have eaten school lunch and had packed lunch, I don't even know what the goal is. Like, is it that we get more kids getting school lunch or is it changing the existing school lunch program to consider more nutritional needs or financial needs of students. One of the things that I read that I thought was really interesting is like the price per meal can is often influenced by the economic demographics of the school in general. So some schools actually get more funding than other schools do too. So I there's like many layers, many pockets of information that we could discuss. And we want it to be useful and helpful, too, to our community. So I, I, I would just really love to hear from them about what they want to know next. I love that. I would like to as well. And I, and I hope that the takeaway here is just for all of us to expand the context in which we consider school lunch and just to have to appreciate that it's a program that exists instead of always dogging on it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I've been there. I've been that person. Like, so I'm not judging, but like, if you're dogging on it, like, what is it that you want improved? And like, how can you be part of that change? Because a lot of times the, the, the twist is that if you want to be part of the change, you have to participate in the program. Yes. So. Also, I'm really glad you said that because we might dog on it, like personally to our friends, but we also need to equip our kids starting in preschool, starting in kindergarten with the the, the lens of of non-judgment around yes. school lunch, whether it's their, their friends are doing hot lunch and they have packed lunch, whether it's that their kid, their friends have packed lunch and it's way different from what their packed lunch is. We cannot talk poorly about school lunch in front of our kids and make them go into school and judge the kids who genuinely need that support. Kids and parents too, right? Like whether it's a a financial need 
or an emotional labor need from those families. Totally. We've got to be open and open and accepting and we've got to teach our kids to do that too. Amen. All right, where you know where we're going to take it. We didn't even invite you to the listeners community at this beginning of this episode. <laughs> oh my god. We, we got were so, so excited about this. <laughs> so hey, we have this amazing listeners community that you can join for free at didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community. Each week, we've got a weekly thread about new episodes. So you can come tell us what you want to hear. Um, talk to us about what you want to know about school lunch. We also have a weekly meal plan thread. There's so much. And we have this generous supporting community where you can get monthly bonus episodes, Q&As with us, and ad-free stream. So visit our so website much. for more information about that. And also, please follow us on Instagram where we are at Didn't I Just Feed You. A huge thank you to our producer, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.